Welcome to PwC's Tax Readiness Podcast Series. This podcast is focused on state and local tax developments and trends in the asset and wealth management sector. I am Brittany Stanford, and today I'll be your host alongside Brad West. Hello, everyone. I'm Brad West, and on today's show, we'll be exploring the CARES Act and the effect of COVID-19 on states. Today, we are with Ben Ludicky from our LA office, and he will be addressing these issues uh, that are happening in these uncertain times that it seems like we always have to use those terms during during this time. So uh, with that said, Ben, uh, what have we seen from states regarding its reactions to COVID-19? Yeah, th- thanks, Brad. Good to be here. Um, yeah, so, so certainly haven't seen significant action by the states at, at this point in time. We did see fairly a fairly immediate reaction in terms of the filing extension and payment extension, very similar to the uh, to the federal provisions or the federal um, delays in filing. But from a from a legislative perspective, we, we really haven't seen much, and that's that's really because the the legislatures have been closed and, and sheltering in place themselves. I think one one thing we do know at this point in time is a lot of states are projecting significant reduction in in overall revenues, uh, which is really being driven by by a lot of things. But I, I think the key items is from a mass unemployment perspective, the the amount of withholding taxes that are coming into the states have already been significantly reduced, uh, really along with sales and use tax receipts, uh, which is one of the larger components of most states' budgets. With people not spending as much and not able to go out and spend, uh, we've seen a huge reduction. And then lastly, looking a little bit into the future in terms of personal income tax receipts and, and corporate income tax receipts um, with the with the potential losses and potential NOLs um, may come into place. They certainly could see reduced uh, revenues in those two departments um, for, for 2019 and oh, mostly probably 2020. I think that the key the key point here is the states, unlike the federal government that can can run at a deficit or engage in deficit spending, is all but I think one state, Vermont, needs to have a balanced budget, meaning that any expenses that the that the state expects to incur needs to be at least supported by potential revenues and any any surpluses that they have and any surpluses less any surpluses that they want to maintain. So I think that's going to be one of the big challenges as states look to balance balancing their budget and how they manage all these potentially reduced receipts. Now, interestingly, already we're seeing some states react, and California always always a forerunner on this. If you go back to January of this year, California was projecting almost a five point six billion dollar surplus in their in their budget, and from now from then until now, we're actually seeing a projected fifty four billion uh, budget deficit. So. Is when trying to balance their budget, what are they? What are they going to do? That obviously, the the first one is is reducing spending. Uh, they've already talked about significant significant cuts in the educational funding, and then the the other one, and kind of true to California, always when the economy takes a downturn, such as uh, the two thousand years uh, two thousand eight, and now proposed for two thousand twenty is suspending NOLs um, and also putting reduced um, limitations on credits that can be used, which fills a gap of around $5 billion in terms of budget revenue. So although not enacted yet, um, probably will likely be enacted very, very soon um, to help, help bridge the gap. And outside of legislative um, uh, legislative ways, we're, we're really anticipating other ways that states will 
potentially raise revenue was maybe, maybe revisiting Wayfair in terms of economic nexus. We, we recently saw Texas as one of the newest states jumping on board with factor nexus. Um, surprisingly, post Wayfair, we have not seen that many states jump on the bandwagon, but this, this may be an opportunity for them to, to increase their base. Another one that could another revenue raising measure that could be a possibility is is expanding the sales tax base. Um, we have we have heard a lot of talk in a lot of states about potentially taxing tax, expanding sales tax to taxing services. Uh, again, this may be another another area that states can consider. And then lastly is just the the outright tax increases. We've seen um, millionaire tax proposals in, in New York and New Jersey. I even saw a, a billionaire's mark-to-market um, taxation regime uh, proposed in New York last week. And then lastly, maybe even all these carried interest proposals start coming back in favor. So... A lot, a lot yet to be seen because uh, legislature is still out and states are probably playing around with their numbers. Um, but we will we will see where the states go. Ben, we've heard a lot about the CARES Act from a federal perspective. Have we heard anything from the states on how they might conform to the CARES Act or um, really how are they going to handle some of the provisions within that from a federal perspective, trying to translate that to states? Yeah, and quite frankly, Brittany, um, again, pretty much silence as of this point in time. The one state that comes to mind that has made any action was New York. And New York came out and said that we're not going to conform to the increased limits on on 163J, taking it from the the 30% limitation up to 50%. Um, But but really, from a conformity perspective, it it, will adoption perspective, I should say, it really comes down to conformity with the Internal Revenue Code and how the state adopts that. So you do have a, you do have a few states, um, probably, probably about 10 states that have what they call rolling conformity, which will automatically uh, conform to, to most of the, the CARES tax uh, provisions. Um, but then really the rest of the states um, are going to require some sort of legislative action um, in order to enact those. So we saw from the from the Tax Reform Act, what was it, two years ago now, that a lot of states did opt into certain provisions but opted out. And I would I would certainly suspect that we'll probably see the uh, the same thing. Because as I said before, this, the states are looking at steep um, challenges on their budgets. So adopting some of these CARES Act items um, could, again, just just continue to, to hurt them from a, from a tax revenue perspective. I think there's a, there are a few interesting things, though, I think, on the CARES Act and what we should think about from a state perspective as whether they will apply. I think one thing we've been hearing a lot in the news is the NOL carryback provisions. Um, and I, I would say that the majority of the states, while they do follow the 172C of the Internal Revenue Code in terms of computing NOLs, the majority don't follow subparagraph A, which which is actually guides the utilization, such as carryback of NOLs. So don't really expect to see the NOL carryback or limitations really apply that much. By, by last count, I think it was four states that would actually be impacted with the, with the NOL carryback. One of the other interesting items is the employee retention credit, and that was the the credit that the federal government provided to keep your employees working um, during the downtime. Is what happened was from a federal perspective, very similar to the Watsi credit, is you're denied a deduction for those wages under 280C, and. 
as you know, uh, from a state perspective, there's a lot of states that you're allowed a state modification for the deduction for those wages since you aren't receiving a credit at the state level. So very similar analysis that we're going to need for the employee retention credit. I think the, and then the, the last one is the, the PPP loan forgiveness. Uh, as, you, as you may recall, there was a lot of back and forth between um, the, the federal government legislature IRS, where the the IRS originally said that any loan forgiveness income was going to be taxable income under COD. Um, Obviously, the the IRS changed course and has subsequently said that that will not be taxable income. So to the extent that the state does not conform to the the COD provisions, it would be taxable income from a state perspective. One other issue that you mentioned earlier was around Wayfair and economic nexus and whether states are going to, you know, reconsider that, you know, what other items would your, are your clients, are you talking about your clients about around COVID-19 and nexus and apportionment? Because I know a lot, you know, it's working from home issue and people are in different states and their footprints changing. So, you know, just how are you uh, dealing with that with your clients? Yeah, Brad, this is a, a very popular topic. And the, the, the great example I've heard is I've got so-and-so um, working in New York and they, they reside in Connecticut. And now that they're effectively working out of their Connecticut home office, do I now have a taxable presence in Connecticut, which has market-based sourcing, and I'm going to encounter a significant tax liability because of this one employee uh, or multiple employees? Uh, it's certainly a hot topic, and a few states have, have come out and actually issued guidance. I think New Jersey and Massachusetts would be two of them that effectively said is to the extent that you have employees sheltering in place in their homes and working, we are not going to assert income tax nexus upon, the, upon those employees. At least that's what New Jersey said. Uh, Massachusetts came out with a, some guidance in terms of withholding, saying that you would withhold as if that employee was working in their regular office. But this is a uh, definitely a, a thought that people have been having, and it's certainly a concern. I think the other interesting point is in the change in dynamic of the workforce, where maybe the, the stay-at-home order is lifted, but now businesses have realized that number one is these work effectively at home or that employee may choose to work at home, do that, does that exemption that New Jersey provided still apply when it's on a voluntary basis as opposed to a man, mandated basis? So still a, still a question sitting out there. And I think secondly, we, we just haven't received a lot of guidance or um, notices from the state in terms of how they're going to treat this. And in the absence of notice, I, notices, I, I think you ha- may have to assure that you potentially have nexus in, in these new states. I think second to that is uh, the impact on your apportionment to the extent you are taxable in a state. Does this move your apportionment factors, um, let's say, from a cost of performance state? Um, if you're, let's say, you have employees sitting in New York City um, regularly, performing their services, and now those services are being performed in Connecticut or New Jersey, it would tell me that your, your overall cost of performance in, in New York City is, has been significantly reduced. Um, so I think that could be a potential trap for, for certain companies or a potential opportunity for, for other companies to, to look at and, and see where that all plays out. But again, a lot, of, uh, a, lot of un- a lot of uncertainty. And I think once things start getting back to normal, which is hopefully sooner rather than later, we, we may get some answers on the, the CARES Act. We may get some more guidance in terms of apportionment. Thanks, Ben and Brad.
And thanks everyone for joining us for this episode. Make sure to visit PwC's Tax Readiness website where you can find our webcast, sign up for PwC Tax Insights, and subscribe to future episodes.